Nine people died in Dayton last night standing in line to go to a nightclub. 20 people died in El Paso, Texas, doing back-to-school shopping at a Walmart. Two died at a Walmart in Mississippi. Three died right here in Gilroy, California, on Sunday at the tail end of a three-day music and food festival. And on that same night, one person was critically injured in a drive-by shooting while sitting on a bench outside a Florida synagogue. We are 216 days into this year, and there have been 250, 250 mass shootings. Now, how do we define a mass shooting in this country? How does law enforcement define that? Either by the fact that at that shooting, three people died, or better news, at least four people were wounded in the incident. That makes it a mass shooting. 250 times in 216 days. Jim Rex is here with me from the Alliance Party. So, Jim... Have we come to accept this as normal? Are we the only civilized, developed nation in the world that has normalized mass shootings? That's a difficult question to answer because I'm afraid that some Americans have accepted it. Um, Hopefully the majority of us have not, and especially have not accepted that our definition of exceptionalism for this great country is going to include that we have the greatest number and frequencies of mass shootings in the history of any nation on earth. That's not what I want the definition of exceptionalism for America to include. And I don't think that that's what the founding fathers meant um, when they created the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms so that we would have an organized militia. You know. I agree. And, and just let me share briefly with you, Joyce, uh, the Alliance Party this morning uh, put out a post on its social media, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but it basically said, we are not being invaded, invaded, underlined, by anyone. Americans are using weapons of war to kill Americans. And what we really need discuss is the need for background checks for our elected officials because their rhetoric and their lack of constructive action are now our most deadly weapons of mass mutual destruction it goes to your it goes to the alliance party's position on transparency for candidates in terms of what their sources of funding are the NRA, in my view, I'm going to get hate mail for saying this, but the NRA must come either come to be again what it was, an advocate for sporting, or it must be um, erased because we can't go on saying that banning military-style assault weapons not letting 20-year-olds with, with adolescent brains buy those guns 
is going to infringe on your right to self-defense or to a rifle to hunt. What we, we just can't allow that to continue, can we? No, and, and the NRA no longer represents either gun owners. The majority of gun owners say, I'm one of them, by the way, say that um, they believe in universal background checks. They believe in controlling assault weapons. Uh, they believe in uh, regulating or doing away with high-capacity um, bullets. Um, so they don't represent their membership, the NRA membership. They don't represent gun owners. They don't represent the majority of Republicans on those issues. They represent their donors. They represent the gun manufacturers. Yeah, I, I think you're right. They're, they're members who do contribute dues do not support them. It is the big gun manufacturers. And, and like you, every man in my family is a gun owner. All of them legal registered weapons. Uh, none of them semi-automatic assault rifles, I should add. But, um, you know, I would go one step further. I would say, you know, if you, if you want to drive a car... You've got to have a license. You have to prove that you know how to use that weapon effectively and that you're going to use it for good purposes. Why don't we similarly license guns? Why don't, why don't we have one universal standard for um, gun ownership and, and background checks so that you cannot go from California that has very, very strict rules to Nevada, which has almost none, and buy a gun and bring it back to California and kill and maim people. Um, well, yeah. well, I, I, you know, I know there's at least a couple of Democratic uh, presidential candidates who are um, <clears throat> recommending that. I think Cory Booker is recommending licensing firearms. I know that there are Americans who fear that as a step toward government. Uh, regulation intrusion, um, you know, categorizing, cataloging people who have guns. Because uh, I think most people know by now we have more guns in America than we have people. So there's lots of guns. Uh, we're never going to get rid of all of those that are already out there, but that doesn't mean we can't start regulating those who are using them uh, and asking for reasonable constraints. And most, you know, I'm a hunter and I have to get a license to hunt. I'm a driver, as you said. I have to get a license to drive. I mean, um, I'm, I actually have a, a concealed weapons permit. I had to go through extensive uh, training and instruction. Uh, and it was uh, learning the rules and the laws as well as showing that I knew how to responsibly and safely use a firearm. So all of those things, I think, could be added. And then the other thing is there is no hunter in America who uses an assault weapon to hunt. There's, there's no need for a, a weapon of war to be in the hands of civilians. I, so I would agree with we've you. Got, we just, we've just got to, and I can tell you, you know, I, I grew up in a rural area. I know the vast majority of, of uh, Americans who own guns use them responsibly. They see them almost as a tool, especially if you're a farmer or somebody who lives you know, out west or mm -hmm. in Alaska or someplace like that. Those people are not a threat <clears throat> to their fellow Americans. And they would go and get the license. 
<clears throat> they would. Most of them would. And, and, and look at Canada. Uh, more Americans ought to take a look at what other countries are doing that, that separates them from us. But, you know, Canada is a very rural country, lots of hunters, long tradition of hunting and, and using of firearms. But you can't get a handgun or an assault weapon in Canada unless you're in the military or in law enforcement. Um, and you can't even put a rifle in your vehicle and, and transport it unless it's a month before or a month after hunting season. They understand that hunters need to move around to pursue their game and their sport, but not 12 months out of the year. And so there are some reasonable things you can do. Canadians do not object to that, and they use firearms responsibly. They have a long hunting tradition, but they don't have mass shootings like the United States. I think that's true, but... Um, if we talk for a moment, let's talk for just a moment about the impact of social media in terms of, um, you know, what you see in these shooters. We don't know yet about Dayton, but certainly in Gilroy and in um, El Paso, and we can probably assume on Sunday uh, the same thing was true in Florida, that these shooters are very young um, yes, they're all the the Dayton shooter is twenty four years old. Uh, they're all they all, just this week all the shooters fit the same profile. Basically, nineteen to twenty four years old, uh, young white males who are obviously perusing these uh, websites such as Eight Chan that uh, are these anonymous imaging boards where a lot of this rhetoric and this and this hate gets fermented and um you know the 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 shooter in el paso posted his manifesto uh, uh, uh. on there uh, on that website uh. we're not calling it a manifesto what are we calling it we're calling it an essay Okay, so whatever it was, his essay was on was posted on this eight chan website, and um, and and it seems to be there's a lot of angst amongst these you know young late teen, mid to early twenty you, white males. You've been reading the script again, haven't you? And I, <laughs> and I think you know, yeah, it's it's a good idea to make it harder for kids who are in these uh these situations where they have this angst and they want to take it out on uh perceived others uh, i think it's a good idea to make it harder for them to obtain a weapon but that's even if they can't get uh you know ak-47 or ar-15 or whatever they can still do things like what happened in charlottesville just run over a pack of people that they don't like and to me, that's the underlying problem and the root cause of all this. You know, the guns don't do it. You know, the, the kids do it. And the kids are, you know, they, they, they're under a lot of peer pressure. They, they get on, in these online communities. They already feel kind of alienated. And, and, uh, and, and it becomes sort of like this, this peer thing that they get kind of pressured into or fall into and get indoctrinated with. And that's where it starts at. And and I, I want to know how we can stem that before it gets to the point where they decide they want to go out and hurt people. And if they can't get a gun, they'll just they'll just ram them with their car. Well, here 
here's that's the the speaker is Vince Tochi, who's the who's uh, my sidekick in making these things happen. Um, and you know, I I think I think that we need to talk about this in terms of uh, two things: the alienation of young white men, which goes back to the con- conversations which Jim Rex and I have, uh, uh, Jim Rex is a national chair, vice chair of the Alliance Party. And, and we've been talking um, on podcasts and on the radio about people 18 to 30, we know, don't believe that government works. So we've got, but, but the alienation of these young white men goes beyond that. Um, and it's an issue. But we've also got to get serious, folks, about the impact of social media on these alienated young people. And they get into these filter bubbles and they get reinforced. And and so, Jim, one of the things that came up in the in the uh, aftermath of El Paso was that this young man had posted his essay on um on social media about 24 minutes before he actually opened fire. Now, 24 minutes isn't enough time. Um, But what if the FBI actually had the power, and it does this in some international, uh, and the concern about uh, uh, overseas and and, um, extremist uh, sorts of, well, we call it, this is extremism. What I'm trying to say is, is um, you know, we have long worried about the so-called uh, Muslim radicalization, the ISIS movement, um, and certainly the FBI has some powers to surveil some of that, of that electronic messaging because it's international. But should we give the FBI the ability to go undercover into these um, social media sites and and try to anticipate and and thwart some of these people before they can um perpetu- before they can kill tens of tens of hundreds of people every year oh boy i'll tell you you know my generation i i still value privacy i worry about over surveillance um of my privacy as an individual in this country um maybe maybe you know the the search for safety and security is getting to the point where we have to give more of that up. I hope not. There's a couple of comments about, you know, most of these shooters are white males. Uh-huh. Most of them are young. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've raised three sons. Um, and if my memory's good enough at this stage in my life, I can remember kind of what it was like to be in my late teens and early 20s. Um, my son you know, still looks it, back on it fondly. Yeah. <laughs> well, but there are some realities about it. You know, um, there's a compulsiveness. You talked about how the brain develops and the mm-hmm. brains, you know, don't develop, especially that front part in terms of judgment, delayed gratification until um, quite late in some people, especially in uh, males. It can be not just late teens, but well into the mid or even later 20s. You've got all that going for you or against you. Um, 
we know that a lot of white males feel threatened in this society, not just the young ones. You know, they see their jobs going away. They see their dominance going away because of the demographics and that African-Americans and other minorities and women and gays and all kinds of people are getting uh, getting a voice, being counted as being um, equal to uh, that that role that white males used to have almost exclusively. So there's a certain level of that going on. Um, and then I used to be, in my checkered past, I, I used to be a high school English teacher, but I was also a football coach for five years at a large high school in Ohio. And, you know, young males um, make great soldiers, and they make, uh, they're great in competitive sports because um, it's probably evolutionary if you want to explain it thoroughly, but um, they like to affiliate with a group, a team. They like to see the other team, the opposing team, as, you know, the enemy, quote-unquote. Um, in sports, you can control that. You can have tremendous competition and vigor and energy, and at the end, you you shake hands and you congratulate the, the loser and all of that. So you can channel it during those critical years. And those critical years for young men, I think, are between the ages of about 15 and 25, right in there. I mean, all kinds of great things can happen, but all kinds of tragic things can happen, too. Once they get through that stage, things tend to, you know, get safer and calmer. And social media is stirring that up. I think you're exactly right on that, Joyce. Um, you know, they, they see themselves as being under attack. Another team, quote-unquote, is attacking them, taking away their rights. They want to join the white nationalist group or this group or that group. So education, you expect me to say this with my background, but education is a part of the answer to this. If you look at these shooters and you go back, somebody knew that there was a problem or a potential problem in almost every case. Mm-hmm. And they knew it when they were and they knew it when they were younger. But we don't have the resources for intervention. We don't we don't put the resources that we need in our public schools, for example which is still the portal through which the vast majority of our population moves. You know, there's not enough counselors, not enough mental health screening. There's not enough support for these young, troubled adolescents. There are many of them who are female. It's not just males, but females act out differently Mm -hmm. than males do because of what I was saying a minute ago. Mm -hmm. I think we know enough about human growth and development and mental health that we can, if we put the resources and make a commitment to it, we can do something about the easy accessibility to firearms, which we talked about a while ago, and I think Vince is right. That's only a little piece of it. But at the same time, simultaneously, we can get more serious about helping our young Americans grow into productive, constructive, healthy adulthood. And right now we're not doing that, and we're paying a terrible price for those who are not helped along the way. I I think you're absolutely right. Um, it was. I think, it was just. I think these ju- issues on, on the Dayton shooter. Just yeah. it was just reported that among the the deceased was the shooter's sister and her boyfriend were found shot dead in their car. So I don't know what the. I'm going to speculate here, but perhaps the sister and the boyfriend had an idea of what the brother was up to, and maybe they were trying to do some sort of intervention and they got 
caught in the crossfire as well. But that just came out that the suspect's sister was among the dead. I... Vince, can I just make a quick statement? You mentioned, you know, about um, high-capacity clips and, and assault rifles and training and licensing certainly not being the, the total answer, and it certainly isn't. But this compulsiveness, this, this moment of anger, whatever it is that drives these shooters, if they have a, a, a pistol, for example, that has uh, five bullets in it, they can do a lot of damage. But this guy, as I understand it, uh, in Dayton, had, a, had an assault rifle, mm-hmm. uh, semi-automatic, probably a semi-automatic, not an automatic. But you can do so much damage in such a short period of time. And the police response to him, as I think I heard this morning, was like a minute or two minutes. I mean, it was under a him. minute. It was under a minute. Yeah. So if you can if you can get rid of these damn assault weapons, these weapons of war and these high capacity chambers, you can't stop people from killing people. As you point out, they can run over them with a car or hit them over the head with a, you know, with a pipe wrench. But they can't inflict this incredible damage in such a short period of time. I I think there's another point with the AR, with the semi-automatic rifles. It's the size and velocity of the bullet. The amount of damage that can be done, you don't really need to be a marksman. You just need to know how to pull the trigger to to kill and maim. And, And you have to think about the seriousness of the injuries. Think back to um, uh, Steve Scalise, who was shot in the hip and nearly died because the bullet ricocheted, the way the bullet ricocheted and went through his body, um, the the amount of destruction that was done was just incredible. So I think that's another point of this. It's it's an important one. I just want to mention, I know quite a bit about guns and calibers and and all of that. Um, These are weapons of war, and they're designed to do maximum damage. These these, um, bullets are actually designed to tumble once they hit, not to continue going straight through. They're they're designed to fragment and do a tremendous amount of damage so that even if you just hit somebody in in a limb, a leg or an arm, you take them off the battlefield. And when they're taken off, there's four or five others who have to, you know, see to them and care for them. So it's a weapon of war that's designed to inflict ultimate damage. The other thing is that a lot of these shooters, I think you will find, have never used a gun previously to shoot anything other than either a target or a video game. They don't know the damage that a bullet does. They haven't seen the result, the consequences of a cartridge uh, you know, a hunter has. I'm not defending hunting. I personally believe if it's done responsibly, it's okay. But, you know, a hunter has seen what a bullet does to a deer or a duck or a turkey or a pheasant or a rabbit or whatever it is. Some of these shooters, I think, are astounded and aghast even when they see the terror, the agony, the blood, you know, that happens from what they're doing just squeezing this trigger. So it goes back maybe to training again and education. Well, I think we you're can't right. Get rid of guns. We can't get rid of guns, but we ought to let, make damn sure people know, number one, how to safely use them so they don't kill people by accident. And then secondly, they have some sense of the incredible damage and pain and agony they can create. I, I think both of those are excellent points. And I think there is a third point that there are 13 million AR 
uh, semi-automatic rifles running around in this country. So even if we were to ban their importation and their sale, we, we would still have 13 million of these. And the question then becomes, how do we get, how do we get those out of circulation? Or as um, you know, is often said, well, if guns are outlawed, only the criminals will have guns. Um, I think that's I think that's a part of the solution that has to be is we have to figure out how do we uh, reduce the number of the availability of of the tool of choice. But I think the biggest point is the point that you're making, Jim, which is how do we identify and repurpose and redirect these alienated young males um, in our society and what is it saying because when we talk about their mental health we're not saying they're psychotic we're saying that they have societal issues adjustment issues as teenagers um, and that they need to feel um, and they need positive direction um, during their educational years I don't think I don't think that will completely eliminate murder in this country but if you take away these easy options and you do more as Jim is saying to intervene early and often and constantly maybe we can break up some of these filter bubbles what do you think I think it's part of the answer you know these um, these young males are not only killing others, they're killing themselves through the opioid crisis, through suicide. Um, we've got, I mean, I, I, other countries have mental issues also, but they don't have the, the mass shootings that we have. Because they, they don't have, have the males. access to guns. Yeah, it's that compulsiveness. It's, that, it's the same thing that happens with suicide. It's that moment that you think the world is coming to an end or your life no longer matters or someone else's life no longer matters. That compulsiveness sometimes can pass, or you can at least minimize the damage that that person chooses to inflict by not having assault rifles and by not having it so accessible, so easy to, to I shouldn't say easy, but too damn easy for people to make these horrible choices and to act upon them. I think, I think you're absolutely right. It is too easy. And I think on that note, what we're saying is there is no silver bullet, to make a bad pun, to resolve the questions that surround 250 mass shootings in the United States in the first 216 days of 2019. What, what I think this conversation brings out as we bring it to a close is that there are there's no silver bullet, that it's a complicated societal and law enforcement issue, and that members of Congress need to put this front and center as human beings, as parents, as brothers and sisters, as knowing that today it could happen to any of us, and we don't want to live in a world where it can happen to any of us. And you'll find this podcast on ricochet.com and at reimagineamerica.org. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.